Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops podcast, we are back. I think we've both thawed out from a very exciting but chilly All-Star weekend in Chicago. Eric Newman back in New York. And BJ Armstrong, of course, back in paradise in L.A. How are you, my friend? And uh, how long did it take you to adjust from uh, your Midwest roots weather on the way back to the West Coast? Well, it's sad to say, Eric, that I have definitely adjusted to the weather of the West Coast. I'm yeah, definitely, you're soft. It, you're soft. I, we know I, that. I, you're I, soft. I, 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 how does a kid that grew up in Detroit, spent most of my adult life in Chicago, suddenly now start complaining about the weather? But that was me. I'm that guy now. So, you know, it's great to be back in L.A. It's great to be back in the sunshine. And uh, I love Chicago, but, man, I was cold. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was it was it was rough. It was a lot of fun. We both had a lot of stuff going on. Um, I, I I can't believe the four days I had. What stood out to you the most from Chicago last weekend that you either saw or experienced? Well, the representation of the the opening part of the All Star Game to me was was a highlight. You had Common, Chicago. You had Jennifer Hudson. You had Hebrew. You had a true representation of the city of Chicago and what the contribution is to the culture, right? And when you say the culture to music and art and, you know, basketball, sports. So I just thought that was an amazing montage there at the beginning that kind of brought it all together. And really, you saw the people of Chicago, you know, what who they are, what they are, you know, this is a, we are Chicago. And I just thought it was an excellent, you know, we can't forget Shaka Khan and, and all of the people after school matters and all of the people that were there to support Chicago's contribution to so many different areas. And we're talking specifically now about basketball. And I just thought that was a great caption of what the city of Chicago means and what the people, how seriously you know, how proud they feel of their city. And uh, I just thought it was great. A special weekend for sure. Um, I had a lot of highlights just working on all of the new Showtime basketball stuff. But one thing I'm going to tease, we introduced Kevin Garnett to the media and our project with him. And uh, on Sunday, when I think most people were relaxing and going to afternoon events before the game, I had the privilege of uh, filming Kevin Garnett walking back into Farragut Academy for the first time in 25 years. 
and that was something very special. Uh, his high school coach still there, and uh, capturing that scene uh, in Chicago and knowing what Chicago represents for the game, the culture, and Garnett's legacy was uh, was truly special. So much more on that to come as we build out uh, that exciting project. But uh, overall, BJ, you, you hit it on the head. It was an incredible uh, celebration of the game, the culture, uh, you know, honoring uh, those who are no longer with us, of course, started with Kobe Bryant and Commissioner Stern. And uh, it, it was great spirit there. But uh, we've got to look forward. I can't believe as we're laying this down today, it's February 20th. I mean, we were just at the beginning of the season making our predictions, it feels like. And um, it's now a sprint to the playoffs. We've got just over seven weeks uh, until it starts. So coming out of a very exciting All-Star weekend, a lot to look ahead to as we hit this just stretch run, this sprint towards the playoffs. And one of the teams that we're going to no doubt about be talking about a ton is the Miami Heat. And uh, BJ and I today lucky enough to be joined by the one and only Jason Jackson. He's in his 16th season as television host and courtside reporter for the Miami Heat telecast on Fox Sports Sun. Jason, thanks for taking the time. We're going to jump right in here. Um, Before we talk about the trade deadline pickups, um, Mm -hmm. let's go back to the key acquisition of the offseason, a guy that you look at and you knew he was going to just be all about that Miami Heat culture, and, and that's Jimmy Butler. What has he brought to this team so far this year? The first thing is my assessment when we first met him in training camp was that Jimmy Butler was always a Miami Heat player. He just didn't play for the Heat yet. Uh, the, the intensity at which he goes about the craft and demands it of other people is commonplace in the Miami Heat organization. There's a saying that kind of goes around the room now that it's basketball. It's not personal. You will be held accountable. It will be audio. It will be visual. It will be regular. Uh, it will be consistent. There'll be standards that you've never heard of before, uh, but it has its dividends, and they are personal, and they are professional. And I think that that kind of fits immediately with the way that he sees and does things that maybe was not so much enjoyed in uh, in Minneapolis uh, and in parts in Philly. I don't know how anybody in Philly would be upset with the way Jimmy went about it because their playoff push was very much dragged along by him consistently through each round. Um, so what it's done, I think, mostly uh, on top of having a steadying all-star max player force on your team, uh, it, it allows for a very young core of players out of bio, Jones Jr., uh, Robinson, Nunn, Hero, so on and so on, to understand fully what it takes, that there is a single-mindedness to winning that is not complicated. Like you got to get your work in. you got to get your body right. you got to meet these unique Miami Heat uh, body fat index standards. Uh, you've got to study. You've got to be in the film. got to be in the book. you got to be in the weight room. But it's got to be about winning all the time, not sometime, not some nights, not when the lights are brightest. And that can be a fatiguing approach. Um, BJ, you know better than all of us, but it it is the approach that he takes and that they now own and won't really know much better than that because of the group I just rolled off for you. Um, Bam is most senior uh, from a 
time served from the NBA standpoint, and he's just in his third season. You know, Jason, as as we watch this team, I think most will agree, myself included, that I certainly didn't see this coming at the beginning of the season. And but there's a difference from playing with no expectations, as I felt that this team is playing with in the first half of the season, to now playing with the expectations of, oh, wow, we can be good. Do you think this team has exceeded the expectations and really kind of sped up the process of Coach, of Coach Riley and Coach Spoll to say, you know what, this team can actually do what? And, and that's what I'm asking you. What? Yeah. Are, what, what's the expectations of this group now, now that they've played so well, especially in the first half of the season? Yeah, they changed. I think the initial idea was get back to the postseason. However way that happens, get back to the postseason, let's establish something that is consistent and in that space. Then they just kept winning and elevated <laughs> and found themselves in that top four elite area where you get to play home games more than most in the second season. And now it's defending that space and, and trying to climb uh, back at, at least, I think it's realistic to say even today, it's gonna be tough for any of these three teams, um, Boston, Toronto, or Miami to catch Milwaukee, but there's still room for those three teams to shuffle their positions you know, over the next uh, less than two months from now. Um, so I think what they're basically saying is, now anything is possible. Now that you've tasted what it takes, now that you're dominant at home, now that you realize you've got to get better on the road, um, that what, what what's in the way? Right now, they have a really good record against all three of those other teams that we just mentioned in the East. Uh, they've struggled against Boston, got to get better in that space. But uh, there's not a fear factor of, oh, my goodness, we need to avoid this to get to that. Um, now it's just, you know, and they're right in front. If you guys take a look at the schedule right now, there's, you know, a lot of winnable games in front of the Miami Heat after a really tough road trip before the break. And, um, you know, accumulate it. Don't shy from it. And I, I think now, and I'm willing to say it out loud, I'm not sure coaches and players are interested in all that, but you look at a team that it would feel weird if they didn't advance from the first round, and I wouldn't be stunned if they found themselves in the conference finals. You know, Jason, I, I just wanted to ask this. You know, you get a chance to watch Coach Spolstra every single night. Mm -hmm. And he's one of my favorites because of the following. He can coach a LeBron James, a Dwayne Wade, a Chris Bosh. And then suddenly he can also relate to a Kendrick Nunn. What makes him such a special coach? And, and, and it's a two-part question. And what do you think has been his biggest growth from being thrust into this coaching a superstar team and now to coaching a team that probably resembles probably his true personality more than that first team. What makes him a special coach? I'll answer your second question first. I think now more than ever, he's probably as comfortable in his skin in the seat as he's ever been. That happens with a dozen years of doing it. It happens with getting married. It happens with becoming a father two times over. So, Life isn't as myopic as it once was, you know what I mean? So right, there right. is a lot more to life and living it than just basketball. And so it's in its proper place, but it's not the only thing. And so I think that relatability 
um, understanding the importance of the time away on top of the time at work uh, has created a much uh, more balanced life. He's always been an even coach, like never too overjoyed and never too down. So I think that even in steadiness adds to it. His willingness to think outside the box with such comfort uh, is not something you see in most coaches. Most coaches don't have the organizational stability uh, that Coach Bolster has, that Coach Popovich has, um, that I think has developed in Dallas from a basketball standpoint. Um, that clearly is in um, probably Boston, and that probably would include uh, San Francisco, Golden State in that space now. That when you can look around in one team, I mean, one family has owned the team the entire time mm-hmm. of the history of the organization, that your boss has been around for 25 of the 32 years of the history of the organization. You have been around that same amount of time, Spolstra, 25 years uh, in the organization. There's a message that's clear to everyone that comes through. There might be some changes around here, but it's mostly players. It's not right. staff. It's not executive dynamics. It's not the team changing hands in ownership all the time. And so buy-in is pretty standard on the way in. And Spo makes it really clear even to uh, the free agents there recruiting. Miami is not for everyone. It's a glorious place to live. Uh, the, the tax dynamic for income is glorious. But the work that's asked of you, the shape you need to be in, the sacrifices you have to make to be a part of the way that they do things is not for everyone. I've seen a lot of people think that it was for them. And even in the discussion going in, uh, before they even, you know, put pen to paper, even considered it, they realized it wasn't for them and got, you know, hit the road and went somewhere else. Uh, For him, from a tactical standpoint, being able to open up a player's mind to think about doing things they've never done. Um, big men who have been challenged, I think about James Johnson and now Bam Adebayo, uh, Chris Bosch before them all, to expand their game in places they never thought reasonable, both defensively and offensively. Uh, turning Bam into a facilitator, a ball handler, and still demand protection of the rim and defending all five positions. Uh, and, and then getting players to believe that they can be more than they've ever been asked to be, I think is his gift. Jason, with all this excitement around heat culture, Butler, some of these young players, all the things you alluded to with Spolstra, then the deadline brings more excitement. Um, they didn't add Danilo Gallinari, which had people trembling when they heard it was a possibility, but they end up adding Andre Godala, they end up adding Jay Crowder, guys that both we know right away are going to fit that heat culture. You have those two, uh, Iggy's 36, Gorin is 33, Butler 30, Crowder 29, and then all those young players you mentioned. How do you see that mix going forward, and how much is is that group of young guys going to benefit now from the addition of two more vets who have been through it on big playoff stages? I think this is genius from one particular point. If things get sideways in a series, and we're talking second season playoff stuff, you now have a group of guys uh, who have all been there. They've all done it. They don't, as Spo likes to say, get sick at sea just because the boat is rocking. That It's a seven-game series. So even if we're down 0-2, we still can win this thing. 
history doesn't allow a lot of old three teams to do it, but you can. And you, you eliminate that hyperventilation that comes from not being in that, that really possession by possession focus that really is the NBA postseason. And uh, while the young players have done well and they have massive responsibilities and they're frontline guys and their impact all got recognized uh, at All-Star Weekend, particularly with Robinson, um, Jones, Hero, and um, Nunn, but they haven't done this. And so to have that experience, that championship element that you get with Iguodala, that, that, that impactful toughness that you get from Crowder and this burning desire to be more and all those things included with Butler and, and Dragic that are already there, plus the championship leadership you get from Udonis um, enforcing the culture and, and the championship mentality of the organization, uh, it, it allows for a net that most young players would not have in that space. You know, you know, Jason, I've been a, a fan of Coach Riley for 30-something years. What have you felt has changed with him? And what what is the relationship now of a Coach Riley who we saw from Showtime to the Knicks mm-hmm. to now? What what what's what do you see with him that's made him so successful over this extended amount of time? Well, you asked the right person because I have been uh, worshiping at the altar uh, since the 80s. Uh, I grew up in Cleveland, but if you remember those 70s, uh, 80s Cavs teams, I had to find another team by April 15th to root for. Right. Uh, so <laughs> my father was a huge Celtics fan, so what do the kids do? We go in the opposite direction. So my brother and I became huge Showtime Lakers fans in the late 70s and early 80s. And so I still live this surreal existence of loving this man from a fan standpoint uh, to loving this man as, uh, let's be real, a rank and file employee with our highest ranking executive. And he turned 75 next month. And at 75, I want to be about 15 years into my, my, my seaside retirement. I'm already planning. <laughs> so the fact that he has this bird and desire to build yet another team, not one more team, like that, that's even silly to articulate. Like it's just another team that will find itself trying to get to the mountaintop and, and stand there when it's all over again. And there's so many iterations in his career of that, not just his Miami Heat career, but also New York and LA, but, but the versions of different teams and players that he's tried to do this with and been successful with in Miami uh, has been amazing. And here he is in, let's call it the real true third chapter of that uh, in his 25th season with the organization. I think he is fueled fully by what it takes to build this stuff, the way that he sees it, right? that it still has to be conditioning. It still has to be defense. It still has to be nastiness. And while the game is changing, uh, you still have a significant big man. You still have a significant ball handler. still have a significant score. So these teams don't really look any different than the teams that he's had in the past. It's just the game is changing. He's adapting to that and, and then having to adapt to the restraints of spending other people's money, right, under a cap that can make it hard. But think about 
what they executed as a front office with his leadership over the last nine months. But to come up uh, out from under burdenous contracts, now ones that you agreed to, but contracts that were going to hold you back from starting this process as early as they've been able to, to get to the 21 free agency that allows you to go after what he likes to call the whales. It's been amazing to move Whiteside, Waiters, and Johnson's contracts and put themselves in such a flexible position to jump into the market in 2020 summer if they want to, but knowing full well that they're you know, waiting to see what these big dogs want to do next summer. It's amazing. The roster construction, as you just said, with these young gems in the making that didn't have much hype, Jason, is is really, really impressive. And you added Jimmy Butler and now these other veterans uh, to what Pat Riley has built and what Spolstra has continued. And it, it's got to be super exciting down there in Miami for, for, for all the fans knowing that this thing is going to continue to build and, and this winning culture is going to continue. So one, one thing that we know teams have to uh, evolve into and grow into is winning on the road. And Miami yeah. lost four or five on a West Coast swing before the break. They've been great at home, but they've struggled away from it. Uh, how much of that is a focus uh, on this team as we look at seeding when it comes to the playoffs? Obviously, before you mentioned Toronto and Boston and Miami, Philly behind them at five, Indiana at six. How important is seeding for this Heat team this season? Listen, with the way that they played at home, they want to be at home as much as they can be. Uh, but eventually, you tend to have to win one on the road, unless you go play a bunch of game sevens. Um, and the Heat are not terrible on the road. They're just not elite on the road, and that's where they want to go. Um, listen, Spo won't make the excuse. Uh, I'm just making the observation. Uh, having... Tyler Hero and, and Myers Leonard out of the rotation while you're incorporating uh, new additions from the trade deadline, that's a challenge. And, and that's what they experienced uh, on that road trip. Plus, Jimmy was banged up on the road trip. And I think just you're in the rigors of the NBA season when you're in game 42 to 62 anyway. So uh, you don't want it to be that way. You understand when you hit one of those skids. I thought the, the, the all-star break was at the right time. And uh, now they have Atlanta on the road, Cleveland at home, Cleveland on the road for the rest of this week. So those are recipes to get things moving in the right direction. And then after that little threesome there, they have a five spot at home against teams that are primarily under 500. So they're about to get healthy, you know, from a, uh, a record standpoint, really start to push Boston and Toronto again. Uh, but I think that it will be, and it was the number one thing, guys, that's full sure the players were talking about a shoot around today prior to taking on Atlanta uh, is that there is a focus here over the last 28 games to become more assist, uh, consistent away from American Airlines Arena. You know, you know Jason, if you know, Dwayne Wade's number is going to be retired here and I think this Saturday. Uh, Correct. Coming in and uh, congratulations to him, Chicago kid, and he's. I mean, he's had a phenomenal, phenomenal career and run down there. I mean, he's synonymous with, you know, Miami basketball I mean, the re- and, the, and the surgence of really, you know, helping that franchise to reach the excellence that it's been able to sustain over many years now. Can you share with us a favorite Dwayne Wade story? 
man, one. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, there's so many, you know. Those interviews yeah. are just uh, those yeah. interviews that you've had over the years. I mean, those are just classic. Just the best. I, I listen. I'm gonna be, you know, a little nostalgic and just kind of go to that last 18 months. Uh, all the greatness of watching him become a champion, scoring champion, uh, gold medalist, all that stuff, like it just, it, it all piles up. But the return was something else. It, it's like the cinematic, um, great Shakespearean storytelling, right? Of the return. And when he came back after being in Chicago and Cleveland, uh, it was during a playoff push and got into the playoffs and Philly was better in that series, obviously, but to have that element was awesome. And then for him to call his shot, like, this is it. This is my last season, my last dance, as he called it. Uh, and to be able to enjoy all of the memories all season long in every location in America, his dedication to the fans to be out there at the end, you know, at every stop possible. Uh, I think he missed one road game and a few home games because of the arrival of his daughter, but it was glorious to watch that last game in Miami when he, of course, scored 30, you know, almost had a triple-double. And then to be in Brooklyn that final night where here are the Nets getting ready to go to the postseason. They're trying to slather their season ticket holders in love. But the presence in a Miami Heat loss because of Dwayne was so intoxicating, it sucked all the oxygen out for them that night. And so that run was special. And we're having a unique night uh, tomorrow at the American Airlines Arena entitled The Flashback, where it will be kind of a, this was your life, like even before his arrival in Miami. And it will be great to run through that again. I, I've had the pleasure of covering all except his rookie season uh, as a broadcaster for the Miami Heat. And it just has been an incredible ride of game-winning shots and determination and perseverance and elevation to the highest levels of excellence in the game, to international flair, to his amazing impact on the lives of those individuals that lived in the communities where he played the game. And now this next chapter, uh, he, how dare he come into my business uh, to come in and try to, try, to, try to dominate television too, damn it. I mean, come on, give me some place. I know, he's coming to this business with a bang. I mean, he's everywhere. He's got some head start, yeah. man. He's got some head start with that Tuesday night time slot, I'll tell you. Jason, thanks, Jason. We're, we're looking forward to the D-Wade documentary as well, which I believe premieres uh, Sunday night. Been hearing really great things uh, about that as well. Not sure if you got a first look yet, but uh, super excited to see that. But thank you very much for uh, checking in with us today. Jason Jackson, Miami Heat, and hopefully – uh, we can visit with you again on the eve of the playoffs uh, when we see who's going to be matching up with who in the Eastern Conference uh, come this spring. So, Jason, thanks again for the time. There's no money quite like playoff money, so I'll be here. <laughs> <really. laughs> for sure. For sure. Thanks, Jason. You got it. BJ, great stuff there from Jason Jackson. And obviously talking about the Miami Heat, and what the playoffs could look for them this spring. We've got a lot to discuss with playoff positioning and how that's going to affect certain teams in the league as we're seven weeks away from the 2020 NBA playoffs. And the big thing that I want to get into right now is playoff positioning. How much does playoff positioning matter? And 
How do you juggle chasing that higher seed, which could mean home court, which could mean a better matchup? How do you juggle that with keeping your guys fresh in order to have rhythm, health, and chemistry in order once you hit that third week of April? Well, you know, those are all great, great questions, Eric. And that is a juggling act. It is a balance. You And as you're going down the home stretch here, you, you can't look too far ahead. You have to... You know, the old cliche, you have to take it one game at a time. And I think you hit it right there. You said it has to be a balance of what this is. You know, every game now will matter, especially for a young team. And one of those young teams, let's take, for instance, the Memphis Grizzlies. It would be great for them just to get into the to the playoffs, right? Those guys will be playing every game with a sense of urgency because of where they're seated, right? Right now they're currently, I believe, in the eighth seed. Um, you have teams like Portland. You have teams like San Antonio who are right on their heels. And those teams will be playing with a sense of urgency in the second half of the season because they're, you know, they're all fighting for their lives, per se. But then you will have other teams like the Utah Jazz where I think the seeding matters for them. I think they are currently – a much better home team than they are on the road. And for a team like that, I think that makes a world of difference because they have some expectations on them, unlike last year, where I think this team is ex expected to advance. If they made it to the conference finals, I, you know, they have two all-star players now. And with this, with this, you know, with their players being able to uh, get all these individual accolades like being named All-Stars and so forth and so on, now comes the responsibility of that. So I think with the success that they've had individually, it's going to come the success of what they're going to do as a team. So I think a team like the Utah Jazz, home court, playing for a home court advantage, especially in the first round, would be a huge advantage to them. And I think they would they would benefit from playing at home, especially in the first round, as to, opposed to as going on the road and having to play and, and winning a, a visiting team's home court. Uh, Utah is a great example. As we start the stretch run here out of All-Star, they're 20-5 and five at home, 16-13 and 13 on the road. They sit in the four spot. And as you said, Utah hosting Houston in the first round is a world of difference yes. versus being at Houston – or, you know, if they happen to, to, to fall back even further, um, which I don't anticipate, but whoever's in that sixth spot that has to go to either the Nuggets or the Clippers, assuming the Lakers hold on to the one seed, uh, that's going to be a tall task. And, and then, of course, in the Eastern Conference, the team with the most glaring home road record and success versus struggle, of course, is the fifth-seeded 76ers, who are an astonishing 25-2 and two at home. And an alarming nine and nineteen on the yes. road. So, uh, I think seeding is huge. Um, obviously, a team like the Miami Heat, uh, I think you know the the way the Heat, the Celtics, and the Raptors have positioned themselves. Um, home court is going to be big for them, but any of those three teams, I think, could uh, win a series on the road on their way to a matchup with Milwaukee, if that makes yeah, sense. No, no question. I think they all. I think they all have the DNA to do that. Uh, we know the Clippers have the DNA to win a, a road series. Um, Houston's new look with the moves they've made, we'll see. And then obviously the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Dallas Mavericks, the Memphis Grizzlies, these are young, hungry teams on the come up. 
they're going to be on the road. They're going to get a taste of what the playoffs are like, and they're going to be obviously a team, uh, teams that are uh, using this experience to uh, continue to evolve to contender level. Now, the team that's on the outside looking in, you mentioned them quickly in the West, that could make life very difficult for any team they play as a road underdog, and that's the Portland Trailblazers. Because of Damian Lillard, because of C.J. McCollum, because of the fa- because of Carmelo Anthony, and because last year they were in the conference finals and won a Game 7 in Denver to get there. So uh, I do think the seeding uh, conversations and what the potential matchups are and who's got the edge is big. And aside from the Lakers maybe giving LeBron a little rest and, of course, what the Clippers have been doing with load management, now getting Marcus Morris in there so you can give George a night off one night, Kawhi a night off the other. I think most teams are going to be playing uh, four seed and four positioning as we go. Yeah, you know, the the one thing that I will say as a former athlete, as a former player, is you have to have chemistry and you have to find a rhythm in how to play together. And we talk a lot about load management. We talk a lot about resting guys. But the truth of it is, is you have to have the on-court chemistry. And there's no other way to get that other than to put in the time and get the repetitions that's needed as you head into the playoffs because there's no more practice once you get to that point. There's no more dress rehearsals. The only concern that I have with resting guys and, and, and teams not being able to play together, especially if we're talking about teams who are all putting, they're putting these teams together on the fly, is when are they going to actually get the repetitions necessary to be a team, right? When are you going to, when are they going to be able to play a stretch of games, 10, 15 games in a row where they actually have the guys on the court? Because we're, we're more or less, we're talking about, the potential of these teams, but we haven't seen it yet. Right? We're talking about the potential of the Clippers. At some point here, yep. Doc Rivers and his staff—they're all going to have to get on the court and actually do it. And we're going to find out whether it's real or it's not. At some point here, the Lakers are actually going to have to get out on the court and actually do it. So um, that's the only concern that I have. If I'm the Clippers, is that. In my opinion, how, when are they going to actually get a number of games together and figure out who they are, what they are, and then say, this is enough, this is our rotation? Because Doc Rivers knows that he has a good team. He knows he has the, the proper ingredients. But it's one thing to talk about it, and it's another thing to do it. And that's the only concern that I have as they head into the last, what, 28 or 30 games or so uh, before the playoffs begin. Yeah, for sure. You need that. You need that ten, twelve game stretch where you you know what you've got. We know practice time is limited, so we're going to see how that plays out in a number of situations, uh, starting with the Clippers. Uh, back east, Kyrie Irving has re-injured his right shoulder. He's already missed twenty six games this season. The Nets are right now seventh in the East, two ahead of Orlando, five ahead of the Washington Wizards, who are having a we're having a nightmare season, and all of a sudden they're a Bradley Beal hot streak away from creeping into the playoffs. So my question for you, BJ, how important is it for the Nets' organizational DNA and the culture of this team to get into the playoffs this year with or without Kyrie, to keep that momentum going, where last year they were the sixth seed, 
had a lot of excitement around the team, obviously made the moves that they made. But for Jared Allen, for Karis LeVert, uh, for Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, and others, it's pretty important to continue to get playoff experience. So uh, I think it's key that the Nets make the playoffs with or without Kyrie and regardless of what the matchup is. You you with me there? Yeah, well, Eric, I, I tell you where I'm with you more so is when you have players that are capable of winning games minus your star player, you have something. Okay, this is very, very important. I mean, think about what we're saying here. We don't have a healthy Kyrie Irving. We know our best player, Kevin Durant, is going to miss the entire season, and this team is still in the playoff hunt. That speaks volumes about what they are doing with the coaching staff. But more importantly, you have really good players there that are capable of winning games. You know, the only concern that I have for the Milwaukee Bucks is that, yes, they are the the number one seed in the in the Eastern Conference. But for them to be the number one seed, their best player has to be exceptional every single game. Minus Giannis, I don't know if the Milwaukee Bucks could be in the playoffs. I really don't. No disrespect to anyone there because winning in this league is very difficult. And when you know that you can get to the playoffs minus not one guy, but two guys, that says something. If I took Middleton and Giannis out of the Milwaukee Bucks lineup, I'm pretty sure that they won't make the playoffs. They'd have a they'd have a tough time. They'd, they'd have, have a tough, a tough time. time. And, I, and no disrespect to those players. No, but they'd be they'd be in the they'd be in the mix uh, around the mess of of that eight nine yeah, slot. But don't, yeah, yeah, no, you, you don't you can't, you, you just, you you can't lose don't, your top you can't lose your top two guys. Your and, top two and, guys and go very far. So if you are Brooklyn. And you make the playoffs this year, and Kyrie is shut down for the season, and you're waiting on Durant, and that's that's a big achievement, and it keeps everyone believing yes. that they're moving this thing and going in the right direction. Couldn't agree more. So another star guard that has been out of the lineup for almost all of the season. Uh, Steph Curry is scheduled to be reevaluated on March 1st, and could be air quotes playing sometime after that. Um, PJ, what's the priority for the Warriors in terms of? getting him some game reps this season or really preserving the body, not putting any more mileage on it, and, of course, improving their chances to potentially get the number one overall pick in June. Where do you think the Warriors go with this and with Steph? Well, what I like first is that the competitive spirit of Steph Curry to get out, to want to get out there on the floor, I'm all about that. I love that. Um, I think that is the right way to think about it. I think that's the right thing to do. But I... As an adult, as an, uh, as an executive, as a person who's played that game, I am very fearful when players return to the court without having the proper training camp or training regiment to get back out there on the floor. I have the ultimate respect for, for the game itself. You don't just sit out for three, four months and then just return back to form. There's a reason that you have you know, training camp. There's a reason you have exhibition games. I don't like when you just throw guys back into the fold. I don't, I, I, I've never been a fan of it because it's, it exposes them to injuries because there's no preparation for a game, right? Yep. You can work out. You can do all of those things. There's no preparation for the 
reaction and activity and stress and all of those things. And it takes time. So Steph Curry, look, I get it. He wants to play out. He wants to compete. I understand it. But as an adult, I'm going to say, you know what, Steph, I'm going to I, I, I love that you want to play. I love that you want to be out there with your guys. But I think in the best interest of everyone, let's prepare your body for what's going on out here. You're right. You don't just go from zero to 100. You build to that process. So I would tend to lean towards just saying, look, this year is gone. We get it. We understand what it is. I love to have them practice. I love to get them reps, get used to kind of the contact. And then I want him hungry. And I want him thirsty to get back out there in the court next year when he's fully healthy. There's no issues. But more importantly, he can build to playing back in a game and build that with the chemistry that's necessary to play and do all of those things. And that's just me talking from experience of being around this league for 30 years. There's just no way to prepare for the conditioning and games and all of the things that you see without actually training for it. And uh, why expose him to that? at this point, uh, at this juncture during the season. And with the chance to get a top three pick, can you imagine the Golden State Warriors next year with Steph Curry back, rested and ready, Clay Thompson on the way back? We, we've talked about how it's going to take him a while to be the old Clay again, but Clay on the way back, a motivated and hungry Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green and potentially a talent like James Wiseman could easily end up with the Warriors if things fall right for them in the draft, along with some of these other young players that they've been developing this year. So uh, I'm with you there. Steph's got to be smart, and you nailed it. Nothing equals uh, having a preseason and being in game shape. There's nothing you can do to equivocate that, and uh, I, I think the Warriors and Steph would be smart to just – Practice, have him be a presence with the guys every day, which I'm sure he's already doing, uh, but but hold off until uh, training camp next year. A team the Warriors will be seeing on lottery night is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Their outlooks, though, not exactly the same. Uh, decorated college coach turned NBA coach with Cleveland this season, John Beeline, has officially stepped down after a very controversial 14 and 40 record with the Cavs. BJ, we've heard a lot of things. I want to know what you've heard. Why did it not work for him in Cleveland? That's a tough transition for for anyone, let alone a college coach that's trying to really understand the pro game. You know, when you look at basketball, Eric, you know, there there, there is a basketball. There are two rims, the court, but those are two totally different games. And I think you've seen over the years the difficulty of many college coaches, not just this one specific example, of how difficult it is to go from college basketball to pro basketball. And one of the main reasons that that's so difficult is that they're two totally different games. Basketball is just not basketball. The sophistication of the pro game far exceeds that of the college game in and of itself. And you can see how difficult it is to coach young, young men who are learning the game and then to coach men who are responsible and have to perform in the game. It's just a different game in and of itself. Uh, I think Coach Beeline is a terrific collegiate coach, but the pro game is a different game. It requires 
people to get you know adjusted to this game it requires to how to prepare people to play for 82 games other than a 30 or 35 uh, games that you play in the collegiate basketball and most importantly the game and the preparation and all the things it's much different so um, I'm sure he will land on his feet coach Beeline he's a terrific coach he is a terrific person and uh, but it was unfortunate to see that happen to him but because you know what I get it being in this pro game is different and you know I don't think anyone can be prepared for this you have to see it day in and day out to really and fully understand it Lots of different things have occurred with this Cavs roster. We heard about that film session where, you know, did he say thug? Did he say slug? I was shocked to hear a story like that about Beeline because he's had such a great reputation in the game. But you hit it on the head. There's such a difference between how the game is played, the style. But this is not a Brad Stevens in his 30s going from college to the NBA. This is a John Beeline in... I believe his late 60s might correct me if I'm wrong, early 70s even going uh, straight to the NBA uh, from a long journey in college. So, uh, you know, BJ, just looking at this roster, if we were having one of our uh, hypotheticals where you and I dive into a front office somewhere, uh, they make the trade for Andre Drummond. And I'm laughing because you look at this roster and there's some talent on this team. Andre Drummond, Darius Garland drafted very high last year. Colin Sexton drafted very high the year before. Kevin Porter Jr., who has shown that he should have been a much higher draft pick than he was. Obviously, Kevin Love is still there. Tristan Thompson, Larry Nance Jr. And then you've got guys who are very good college players like Malik Newman on this team and a talent like Dante Exum on this team. And they're stuck in almost, you know, it's it's they're one of the worst teams in the league record-wise. But I know your feelings on building through the draft. I know how you feel about roster construction. Are the Cavs one or two proper decisions away from taking this bottom of the standings um, positioning right now to potentially being a team that's back in the playoff race next year? Do you see that because of some of these pieces they have? Well, when you look at their roster and the construction of their roster, you know, the, the one glaring thing is that you have players who have played in the NBA Finals who have won championships, and then you have young players who are just figuring out who they are and what they're going to be in this league. Okay, as you're building a team, which includes everyone, you have to find players who are in the same timeline of the development, right? This is, it's very hard in today's game, unlike probably any time that I can recall, where if you don't have experienced guard play, it's going to be very difficult for you to win. That's what makes Ja Morant such a special player. Ja Morant came into this league right off the bat and, and it can make an impact in the bottom line, which he's affecting winning in this league as a rookie lead guard. You have Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson. Those players are like, look, they, they understand their role and what they can do in this league. And then you now, but we have to find what the young players can do, right? You have the Garland kid. You have all of these, you know, Exum, I think you mentioned. You have these young players here are really, the only way that they can gain the valuable experience that they need is to go out there and play, play through their mistakes, 
whether they win and lose if you're going to speed up the process because of where they were drafted. So I think right now they have to figure out what, which direction, and I think we know which direction they're, they're, they're going, right? They're going through the draft. I think they're doing a terrific job of drafting the players. But when you're going through the draft and when you're building and, and, and doing the things that they're doing, it's going to, it needs time. You need time for these players three, four years later to be, okay, this is who he's going to be. This is what they are going to be. And right now they seem to have a mixture of players who have the experience, who've been in this league for 10-plus years, and then you add young guards who are who really don't know what they are in this league, right? Are they a one, they're a two, are they some type of hybrid guard? Uh, you know, you know, you might be drafted as a point guard, but you might evolve into Lou Williams. You know, you know, the kid Sexton may be Lou Williams, but right now he's got to go through the process to figure that out. And I think that is the the most difficult thing as I look at the construction of this team. But certainly they have players, they have talented players, but it's not coming together, and it's not coming together because of everyone's on a different timeline. As I look at it. Now, great call-outs. I would expect Kevin Love to be in a different uniform next season. Tristan Thompson could be a buyout candidate um, and join another uh, join a playoff team uh, potentially this year. Um, I'm a little skeptical on the decision to draft Sexton and Garland back-to-back. And just a quick note, they took Sexton eighth overall in the um, – 2018 draft knowing that LeBron James was likely going to be gone but had not announced it yet but drafted three spots behind him was Shea Gilgis uh, Gilgis Alexander drafted four spots behind him was Miles Bridges drafted another two spots back was Michael Porter Jr. so I you know, we have to let these guys develop. Then they drafted Garland, who's another undersized guard who needs the ball. So they're going to have to make some decisions. Who are they building around? Who are they shipping out to try to get more assets back? But as you said, this is going to have to be done uh, through the draft and through player development. So tremendous show today. Great to be back in the groove. There's going to be a, a whole lot more to discuss in terms of uh, teams pushing for the playoffs, teams building for the future. And, of course, having a, a lot more guests uh, as we head towards the stretch run of the NBA season. So special thanks, as always, to our producer, Mike Lieber, the one and only Bruce Bernstein, editor Benjamin Wolfen, and the entire Pure Hoops media team and family. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise Show dropping each and every Monday. Our new show, Full Court Press, in the college basketball space featuring John Fanta and Kim Adams dropping Tuesdays. Catch and Shoot with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin on Thursdays. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with the one and only Monica McNutt on Thursday. And, of course, the Pure Hoops Hoops podcast. Closing things out on Friday with my partner, my running mate, the man who's always going to be there to feed me the ball when I'm open. Wait a minute. I thought you were supposed to feed me. I'm open. Pick and pop. You said it. Relocate. (laughs) I'll hit you in the hands, BJ Armstrong. Great to be back today, my friend. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the pod. And as always, stay pure. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.